Ooh, it's hot, hot, hot. <laughs> Good morning. Man, this room is looking happier and happier. I was trying to think what adjective can I give you, and I'm looking at everyone's face. Everyone just looks happier and happier as we start finding our way back to some elements of life that we've missed. Amen. And uh, I want to thank those of you, especially that are over in the Bee Lee Center. Um, and I, I, I went up and thanked a few of them this morning. I was like, thank you for helping us still be compliant. And uh, they're happy to do so. But at the same time, I know that, you know, being outside of the bigger group, uh, you feel a little disconnected. So we really appreciate you looking out for us and doing this for us. And uh, there's more and more people showing up in those other environments as well as we come back to life. So uh, if you're at home and you're wondering, um, we made the chairs extra comfortable in that room. And uh, we're, we're, we're just really excited to see people coming back. And so uh, before we get into what we're going to do this morning, which is out of the ordinary, as you can tell, um, I wanted to just back up what Pastor Tom just said. I found it interesting, too, that he introduced himself. He says, my name is Pastor Tom. Did you catch that? And I thought, man, that's really convenient for us that his mother named him Pastor Tom so that he, it's like she knew we would need him one of these days. So anyway, uh, what, what's good, uh, what's the point of having a staff you can't pick on him every time? You know, you get an opportunity, so he'll get tired of that soon. Um, I wanted to uh, just mention or follow up on his announcement about the business meeting happening on November 8th. Typically, if I'm being honest and confessing uh, to you all, that typically over the years, we've kind of allowed that to be a little bit under the radar. Um, you know, if you have... Uh, you're, you're presenting, uh, in our, in our case, typically, you know, a, a fairly large budget and stuff and a lot of moving pieces and it represents ministry and all those things. Uh, the less controversy, the better, you know? And so if people come out and they're like, oh, that sounds good. Okay, good. We're good. You know, we felt like year after year, it's like, this is great. You know, this is what we, what unity and all that kind of thing. And the problem though, is that you run into a year like 2020 and you want the partnership of your people, you want the buy-in of the membership of the church to be able to say, hey, what are we facing? What are we up against? How can we be involved? What prayer do you need from us and things? And so if the culture of the business meeting environment is pretty much like stamp of approval, we move on. Um, there are times where that is needed to be um, adjusted and corrected. Um, you're all going through the same kind of year that we are at faith, a lot of uncertainty, a lot of change and shift and all that sort of stuff. This year's business meeting is so much more than just, um, let's look at a spreadsheet and see if we like the, the final result and the number. Um, and we want the membership of faith to be a part of that conversation. Uh, we're welcoming it. In fact, um, because of the nature of the limitation in size and gathering and things, and we are going to do some technological things for overflow in the other room and participation and things, but we are going to make this a members-only meeting this year. And it isn't because everything we're saying is secretive or private, but because we need the membership of faith, which is still substantial, to be able to have a seat and to be able to weigh in on the discussion. So I hope it's not totally foreign and strange for me to address this on a Sunday morning. I know many of you here are, um, have been outside of those discussions. Maybe some of you are new. Um, and this is because we want to talk about things that are broader than just money. 
Um, but of course, money is an important factor in all of this. And so all of that is being addressed. But we are confident we have a future. We are confident we have a direction. And we want to be able to lay that direction out. And we want to be able to welcome all of our membership into that discussion. So anyway, that's my two cents. It's a little bit long on the whole thing. But November 8th at 5 o'clock. Really looking forward to having you. If you are watching from home and you say, I'm still not doing crowds yet, I'm still not going out in public, and it's uh, one of those situations, you can let us know, and we'll try to figure out a workaround to get you to be able to participate in the meeting as a member. And um, I should say that differently. If you already are a member, then we'll uh, give you that information. And so be praying for us as a church, be praying that as we strengthen membership, as we lay out a process going forward, that all of this is communicated much sooner, much earlier. People know what they're uh, being involved in and what role they can play because everybody plays a crucial role. So thank you. I'm done with that awkwardness. Okay. What we're doing this morning. Um, I am privileged, especially in a year like 2020, I am privileged to be surrounded by people that are more than just employees of a church. They are partners in a mission. And I don't say that lightly. I don't say that to give you a cliche. I have been more strengthened by those that I work with this year than uh, than really anybody else uh, in life. And so um, a, a couple of folks that I want to do a better job introducing you to this morning are people that you've known for years, but maybe you don't know all that's going on in their heart and their mind in terms of their mission and what they bring to the ministry here at Faith. So I'm asking uh, Janet Johnson and Pastor Gary to come. If you would please come and find your assigned seating. Um, what we're going to do this morning is I want to talk to them just a little bit about their challenges, their heartbeat, their um, goals for the future, because I think that it's very important for us to acknowledge, kind of like what we're sensing today, that ministry moves forward. We can't just stay stuck in what we've lost. We can't just stay stuck in what we miss and those sorts of things. And so what is faith doing specifically as a ministry to continue to grow and move forward? And, and, and this is a conversation that we wanted to have, I think, back in January, February, and then something like COVID hit. And uh, so we said, we're going to have to get to that later. And it just feels better to be able to do this with a little bit more of a crowd. Hopefully, um, this translates well to those of you watching on a screen. Um, but I just have several questions that I just wanted to set them up for you to be able to hear a little bit more of why I'm so impressed and pleased to be able to work with them. And of course, you know, Dory and Pastor Tom and Steve Dameron are also on staff and we're around them on a, a near, near daily basis as well. But this particular conversation, we wanted to be able to talk specifically about the heartbeat of children's ministry for faith kids and then also for um, our youth group with Pastor Gary and all that's going on there. So sound good? All right, let's welcome them. All right, so what I thought we would do um, this morning for the time that we have is, is start with just helping people get to know you a little bit more like I do, and the obvious place to start is background. Um, many of you may not know this, but I think, Janet, you are, and this isn't even an exaggeration, you might be the longest standing attendee, eventually member of Faith Church. 
That's true. <laughs> and I'm not that old. So just to be clear, I wasn't I meant child. To, I meant to say that at first because I'm a guy and you're a, a lady and I need to clarify what I meant by that. So yes. That is true. So your history with faith goes back a long, long time. Long time. In, in just a few minutes, give us sort of a, a capsulation of how you came to Christ, how growing up in the church has impacted you, how that shaped sort of your heart for doing what you do. Okay. Um, good morning. Um, yes, I was, um, I think I came right from the womb to faith, not quite that much, but pretty close. Um, and so I grew up in the church and I grew up going to Sunday school. I grew up going to all the prayer meetings. I grew up doing all the things, um, accepted Jesus Christ as a very young child. Um, just knowing that that was something that I knew I needed. I knew I wanted, I saw it in other people and I knew that that was something I needed to have. However, I didn't understand that it was a relationship. I didn't understand that part. So I definitely was the term of I borrowed my parents' faith. No question about it. Um, I lived off of that. I thought that that covered me. I thought I was good. Um, fast forward through, I stayed at faith all through my teen years. Um, I was a really good Christian on Sundays, not so much Monday through Saturday as a teenager and walked away from faith, um, both the church and my own personal faith, um, in my, um, late teens, early twenties. Uh, fast forward to, I met my, um, now husband. We've been married 26 years, um, and have four children together. And, um, he came to know Jesus through acts of, um, God only himself could handle and do. And, um, we've raised four, um, great kids and the faith. And, um, so I stayed home for a little bit and raised babies and did homeschool and all those things. And in that time I was pursuing my degree for early childhood education. And I did that. And then, um, it wasn't too long before pastor Bill, um, asked me if I would be willing to think about stepping into children's ministry in a more permanent role. And so I did. And 13, 13 years later, this is history and where we're at. So, right. Yeah. And I think your story too is so common for, um, well, and, and some parents will even experience this now because they've had children. You've seen kids Absolutely. come up through that. You've seen them graduate and you're mm -hmm. like, okay, I remember when they were in kids ministry with me and stuff. And so a lot of parents I think are going to ask that same question of when is the appropriate time? And we don't have to answer this now, but it's just it, relating to that story what is the appropriate time for me to start being concerned that my kids who know the verses, know the songs, still love going to church and seeing Miss Janet and all the faithful people that help and make such a big difference? When should I be concerned that this now becomes their own faith and start having more discussions about what it means to be in a maturing spiritual individual? And that's, of course, where a lot of that... Um, planning and handoff into the next phase of ministry comes in. So I appreciate, I, I really wanted us to be able to hear that's like, you know, from the womb to church, that's going to be a common experience for a lot of us. Yeah. And that's going to be something that we're going to have to, I know I went through that too. It was like, when did it become my own instead of just, and, and, and they go through that. And typically it's around the years that Pastor Gary sees. So I'm going to shift gears and just ask you to give me kind of the same backdrop a little bit. All right. Well, <clears throat> mine's pretty much the exact same. <laughs> so I'll just go with what Janet goes and we'll go on to the next one. No, but really, um, I did grow up in a Christian home, good, solid family. Um, my dad became an assistant pastor when I was about 12 years old. So same thing, Sunday morning service, Sunday evening service, youth group, you know, all the Bible studies and everything. So a lot of Bible knowledge, same idea, um, being immersed in scripture. And I knew a lot of the stories, 
The only problem is just like Janet, I said the prayer earlier on, but never really understood and grabbed a hold of that relationship with Jesus Christ on my own. So yeah, we use that, that term a lot of borrowing your parents' faith. That's what I did. <laughs> so through high school, borrowed my parents' faith, never really um, lived it. And even after I graduated high school, never really lived it. Went to a college, kind of straight away from church, uh, straight away from God, even though I kept up the appearance of being the good Christian kid. You know, it was easy to do because I knew the whole the r- routine of doing that through uh, high school and growing up. Uh, made some really bad decisions and had to pay the consequences for those. And just like all of us, God never gave up on pursuing me. And when I hit a low point in my life, God was right there. And just made me realize how badly I needed that relationship. And it's almost like it clicked at that moment. I understood what it was to have a relationship with Christ. And so from that point on, many of the teens know this story because I've shared it with them. But from that point on, um, God started pursuing me to push me into youth ministry. And I was really like, nope, don't want to do it. (laughs) I have a passion for the kids. I'll be a volunteer, which my wife and I did for many years as volunteer youth leaders. But I didn't have to be up on the stage. I could just do the small group setting and and influence the teens that way. Um, But God kept saying, I want you to do more and more. And he kept giving me more and more of a passion for the teens. And so junior high youth pastor, a part-time position opened up. And the church offered it to me here. And so I took that for a year, and then the full-time youth pastor opened up. And it was just like God was opening the doors, giving me opportunities that I could see that it was clearly God opening those doors. So that's really what has pushed me into that and shaped me. Mm-hmm. But also for the parents, I just want to encourage you guys. Um, it just shows in both of our cases that going to church, um, going to youth ministry, being a part of it, being immersed in Scripture is so big. You know, it may not be to a few years after you get out of call or out of high school, but it'll stick with them. It'll stick with the teens. So stay encouraged about that because God knows when that turning point could be. So, yeah, and that's what jumps out to me about both your stories. And 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 like I said, I I, I feel like I went through something very similar, in particular in my junior high and early high school years and stuff. What would you say to the people that would, um, cause you know, no doubt we're going to have some younger folks going, see mom and dad lay off. Yeah. Let me run a little bit because th- we turn out. Okay. Um, we end up with these stable families and I might even be serving God one day. You never let me, you never know. So give me some, some freedom to rebel and to do my thing. I mean, would you recommend that kind of mindset in someone that might be contemplating that. Now, yes, for parents, I think it's hopeful for us to kind of say it, what we're seeing happen in some of our kids' lives or what we're afraid of isn't a permanent sentence that grace could come in and rescue. But what would you say to those that would be saying, see, I, I can turn things around when I'm ready. Don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'd say. Yeah, definitely. Don't do it. <laughs> um, no, it's a good point because, like Gary said, you know, we knew the stories. We knew all the right words. We could say the right things on the right – being asked by somebody or in the right setting. You'd sit in a youth group, group and you could have all the answers, and your youth leaders would be like, oh, they're good, they're good, and have no idea what's going on 
Monday through Saturday or maybe even Sunday afternoon through Saturday. <laughs> I don't know. Um, so my advice would be, obviously, to keep them going to church, keep keep doing this, but not just bring them to church and drop them off and say, how was Sunday school? What did you learn today? But really dig in. And even better is because of the curriculum we use, you can know what we're doing and what we're talking about. So you should equally be as engaged with them and keep up with that. But they're watching you. They're watching what's going on with you at home. It's not what we're doing here on Sunday. We're definitely equipping and we're definitely helping. But you are the primary persons in your home that they're following, that they're watching your lead. And even if they act like, oh, I don't want to hear this from you, keep going, keep doing it. Because they'll replay it and they'll recall it and God will use it when it's his time to bring them to him. So I would say just keep keep going. And if you're not, step it up like that's. Right. Yeah. Anything you'd add to that? Well, to the teens, like she said, don't do it. But I also said in there that I had consequences to pay. There are consequences to pay for your sinful um, decisions and you will eventually, they'll catch up to you. So right there, you need to really make a wise decision about which path you're going to go down through. Uh, But also in our youth ministry, we really try to make it uh, open discussion a lot to where the teens can ask questions. And not even questions where they have to stand up in front and get embarrassed about a certain question. We have different ways they can do it anonymously. We have certain ways that through trust and relationship, through relation or through the leaders, they can ask those questions in small groups. Um, this allows the teens to be able to form their convictions and beliefs at their age now. And so that, that helps them to hopefully take advantage of that teens and listen to what the leaders give you for advice. You know, and, and don't go down that road, but help form those uh, beliefs and convictions right now instead of waiting until later. And parents, I'd encourage you just to stay stay the course. You know, really, like we say in youth ministry in First Corinthians when Paul said, I planted, Apollos watered, and, and God caused the growth. You know, parents, just stay the course. Be the Paul, be the Apollos. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just stay the course and try to be as consistent in your life at home as you are here at church. So... So they don't see any hypocrisy there. I think that's the absolute crucial key. Even if we feel like we're not great at it, but we're trying something. And it's not because what we saw growing up a lot, because we were brought up in church, was a lot of the pastor said this, or don't do this because you'll make me look bad in church. So some, a lot of parents used to have that you know, perspective. So the kids knew I have a church lifestyle and face, and then I get my freedom when I get out because they saw the parents doing the same thing. And your circumstances, just like mine was, there was an anchor at home. In my particular case, my dad and mom were both Christians, but my dad was sort of neutral on a lot of this. And my mom was the driving force to where she wouldn't put up with my straying too far. And uh, all 95 pounds of her was still intimidating enough for me to be able to go, okay, I don't want to mess with, I don't want to break my mother's heart. And and, and that mattered because it wasn't just show, it was genuine at home. What she claimed to believe in church was what she brought home and we saw it lived out day in and day out. And I think that's one of the things that you can't stop your kids from doing what they're going to do sometimes. But we try, we warn, we pray, we correct, all that kind of thing. And then yes, by God's grace... I, and a lot of times in the counseling that I give for young adults, as they come in and they are now starting a family and they're like, now this idea of raising my child in church matters to me. 
And I want to be able to say, well, for the last eight to 10 years, you were running from God and giving your parents all sorts of fits. Why does it matter now? There's something about now I have a child of my own and now I'm remembering the structure that my parents gave and I ache for that myself. And, it, and the foundation that happens in these ministries comes back to revisit them. And it gives someone in my position the ability to build with something because there's a foundation that's already been laid. They walked from it. They fought against it. But eventually the Lord brings it back to revisit. Not in every case. I mean, obviously we're talking about generalizations, but for the most part. Let me move on just a little bit because um, we all know what the stats say. I don't know if we all, but I mean, in ministry, we're always wrestling with the stats that what we've been addressing is that so often you get to be about you know, 18, 19 years old and you say, okay, I don't have to do the church thing, the youth group thing, the, any of those sorts of things anymore. I'm going to go do what I'm going to do. How do you think that the ministry specifically that you guys are involved in is helping to combat that statistic? What do you think we're doing to address that? Some of it you've already alluded to a little bit if you want to pick up on sure. that a little bit. But. Sure. Well, the stats are really staggering. In fact, I was checking up some Barna stats, and there's one stat that said 65 to 70% of teens who graduate high school leave the church. Hmm. And that could be for an extended time, could be a few years, but oftentimes it's a full decade before they come back to the church. So, I mean, that stat in general is really, you know, mind-blowing. Hopefully in our church, I, I truly believe that our stats are way lower than that. Um, and I hope we're, we're moving in a direction to be lower than that. Um, but I think as far as, as far as youth leaders go, what our ministry is doing for it, um, because there's so many different reasons why the teens are leaving the church. And we've talked about some hypocrisy they see in their parents or in, in the congregation or in some of the, uh, different church leaders or whatever it may be, maybe shallow teaching, or the fact that they borrowed their faith and it's an immature faith or that they don't have it at all. So there's those factors. Um, but since there's so many different ones, I think we have to go back to the fact of what's the main piece missing. And so, or not even main piece missing, I shouldn't say it that way. But as leaders, we need to know our role, which isn't the main centerpiece. And I think that's where the family is the main centerpiece. And the Bible clearly uh kind of spells that out that the mom and dad, the parent and the family dynamic is the center primary role in a teen's life. So as leaders, we know they are the primary role. We need to come alongside the parents. And so we can do that through communication. We can do that through uh, helping to resource the parents and helping to be there for the parents as well. And in our youth ministry specific helping to build relationships and trust that allow the teams to talk with us um, and different ways that they can open up to us. I think that's a big way to kind of combat that. And I think I alluded to it earlier to get them thinking, critically thinking and biblically thinking um, on issues of today and struggles that they're going through. That's going to form those beliefs and those convictions that they have those now. And, and instead of trying to form those after they graduate in a university <laughs> right. in like a swamp environment where they're just going to get eaten alive. Yeah. And, and so forming those so beliefs now there. Yeah. yeah. So I think that's a big part of it. Yeah. And that's what we're doing in our ministry specific to try to combat that. Recognizing your place yep. that you're supplemental. It's a weird uh, tug of war though to have it because is. you're a pastor. So we look to you as a pastor, as a leader, so even though we're raising kids and stuff, you don't have any teenagers yet. yet. And so you are, are raising, you know, 75 of them <laughs> along with other parents and stuff. And so while they know they care about their child and know their child far better than you do, 
but they also look in that sense for how could we do it better. And it's just a weird kind of tug of war dynamic that has to happen. And one thing that you mentioned that I would like to key in on before I ask you to answer the same question is uh, you had talked about the leaders you have, and maybe this is a good jumping off point for a second, because the question was, how are we combating that statistic? And I, I, from what I've seen, and this has been a part of ministry even before you came into the role, that this has just been well established in uh, youth ministry here at Faith is the support structure you have of other lay leaders, who so would be non-pastoral leaders in the ministry. And I wonder if, not to put you on the spot, I wonder if you can see a connection and spell that out for us of those relationships and how they help the one who's even getting ready to graduate and going into those. Do we see any connections there? Yeah, absolutely. That... Absolutely. Because a lot of the leaders, if you guys know any of our youth leaders, they are, they're solid. They mm. really are. And they are there with a heart for the teens. And, and obviously, like you said, 75, sometimes more than that teens are, and I can only reach, you know, so many, I do have the stage each week to be able to teach lessons, but to really disciple and engage and get involved in the teens lives, I really can't impact every single one. And that's where our youth leaders come alongside and really disciple them and have a huge impact as they're going on. So then it's not just Pastor Gary that they can call with a question or or with help. They have all these uh, these lay leaders who can help out. Right. If that answers your question. Yeah. Yeah, because I <laughs> so think if it was impact. all dependent on you, um, there's there's a natural distancing that happens in in, in relationships yeah. that says, Well, that's what you're hired to do. Right. You care about me because you don't want to lose your job. Now, I don't think that uh, every kid's evaluating that, but it does because we're humans. It can be in the back of our mind. And also, and my so, guys, so like the girls, the lady leaders are so impactful and, and effective with hit, reaching the girls. Yeah, I'm not going to have absolutely. that impact. So. Yeah, and that's something that we definitely care about, keeping those structures and those safeties yep. and things in place. And so it just gives you more tentacles, if you will, to be able to minister well by having those. I know you benefit from the same thing, but before we go there just going back to that how 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 do those stats kind of weigh heavy on you and you think okay we've got to be starting this early to prepare kids to not walk away from their faith like pastor gary said the minute they walk onto a college campus or something well the stats are a little bit heartbreaking on my end but what is more concerning to me is um, my age group kids can't drive themselves to church um, they have to come with parents. Right. Um, so it really, again, goes back to, <clears throat> excuse me, the people who are in care, in charge of their care and who's bringing them. Um, and we see kids um, sometimes once a month. Sometimes we don't see them for a couple of months just based on um, family dynamics and what's going on. Um, and that's just, it's hard on the kids. But what we've done to help with that is we've um, adopted the curriculum that allows you to stay up with what's going on in kids church every single week whether you're here or not with covid happening and shutting us down um faith kids kept going online we were on every single sunday we had the bible lesson up we had music up we had activity sheets going so there's a way to to do this obviously it doesn't replace being here in person um they're making community just because they're little kids doesn't mean they don't need to have community it doesn't mean they don't need adults loving on them and caring for them. So it doesn't replace that, but it is an exceptional tool to be able to keep that going, even if they can't be here on Sunday morning. So. Right. Yeah. And, and again, I think you guys just kind of hit it right out of the beginning about the consistency aspect. Even some of those families that are forced to have those every other week scenarios yeah. or once a month or something like that, the consistency still matters. So what you get 
make it a priority, make it count because that will invest, Absolutely. you know, yeah. big time in the life of the, the children going forward. So one of the aspects too, that I think would be important to talk about is the fact that there's a graduation period with uh, kids that come out of after they've left fifth grade, they're finishing fifth grade, they're getting ready to go into sixth grade. And so there's a handoff and you guys have worked hard to coordinate some of those handoffs and, and stayed in touch with how that transition goes. Can you talk to us a little bit about what you guys look for, what you try to accomplish and even down to like the, cause I, I've only done this now, what, four or five, eight thousand times now with all my kids and i'm still going i don't know when that handoff happens and stuff like that so if you could just fill us in on how you guys think that goes and what you like about it sure yeah i mean pretty much we sit down uh probably a few weeks at least maybe even earlier than that and kind of get <clears throat> go through the list of the fifth graders who are coming into sixth grade which by the way sixth graders are crazy <laughs> hyper the energy level of youth group just like shoots through the roof when the sixth graders come in uh which is awesome it's like a red bull for the youth group <laughs> Um, but yeah, we sit down, we go through the list and Janet does a great job of contacting the parents, getting them hooked up to our Facebook page, the well, and also on the website. And I try to have some talks with some of the parents beforehand. And I think one of the biggest thing, as far as the transition goes, is the sixth grade orientation that night as well. Um, but beforehand, um, uh, tr smooth transition between the parents and the students. So it's not just the students show up there for the sixth grade orientation. We try to involve the parents as much as possible because it's a whole new community for the parents as well with other parents, teen parents. So, yeah. and, and as far as effectiveness, um, the children's ministry preparing the, the fifth graders for sixth grade, they do an excellent job. She already alluded to, you guys talked about the gospel project and me and some of my leaders have really noticed that the kids are really well prepared by the time they get into youth ministry because of her team, what they're teaching them on a weekly basis. So they have a much better grasp of scripture by the time they get to sixth grade. And oftentimes you can recognize the ones who have gone through our children's church through the gospel project because of that. So I think that's a testament to you and your team, which is really cool. Yeah. Awesome. A little compliment there. Thanks. <laughs> nice to see you two finally getting along. Uh, I guess. Um, a little better than the debates we've seen lately. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. right. Um, uh, so preparing for that handoff, what's it like from your perspective? What what things do you see coming and what, what ways do you try to hand that off to him? Um, well, we start on... Gospel Project actually starts in the nursery. Um, I don't know how many of you know that, but we actually start teaching very small lessons to toddlers. Um, so by the time that they get into our Faith Finders group, which is our third through fifth grade group, um, sorry, fourth and fifth grade group, they that's where we really start pushing on them to really start knowing the Bible truths and really start connecting all of the dots. Um, and so by the time that they, hopefully, by the time that they finish fifth grade and I'm ready to hand this list off to Gary, I'm pretty confident in the fact that regardless of what's going on at home, you hope for all of the best. You hope they're coming from this stellar family and everything is great. It's a Mary Poppins scene. It's fantastic. Um, but we know that that's not really how it goes for any of us. So by the time that I'm ready to hand that list off to Gary, I'm hoping and I'm praying that they've been equipped enough to know at least the biblical truths that have taken place over, because by that time they will have gone through the gospel project at least two full times because we go through it every three years. So they will have gone to, through it at least two times. So I'm hoping and praying that we've given them something that's not borrowed. It's their own. They've got the truths. They've got the verses. They've got the stories. But more importantly than the stories, 
they've got the rescue that happens. It's the rescue, right? Like Jesus rescued them, and I want them to know that. So as they go into junior high, they're ready because they know no matter what's going on, they've got God, they've got the truth, and they're ready to go. So that's our hope is that's the handoff. Right, and it's fun for me every time uh, you've got a story to share of like how that's connecting with one of the kids and and uh, you had one this week. You don't have to necessarily give it by name, but I, just, you know, the scenario of when the light bulb goes off and, and that's probably part of what you benefit from is when those light bulbs are going off more yeah. and more, they're starting to wrestle with the principles of God's word and apply it. So I don't know if you yeah. want to share that. Sure, I'll share it. Um, our big, we have a big picture question each unit that we're studying in this um, unit where our big picture question is what did God, what did Jesus do to save us? So they have three points in the answer that they have to answer. And one is that God lived, a, Jesus lived a sinless life. He died on the cross and he rose again. So they've learned that, they've memorized that all month long. And so this past Sunday, a week ago today, um, a little boy looked at me and he, after saying this, and we've said it for three weeks now, a little boy looked at me and he said, Miss Janet. So it was important that it was sinless because otherwise it could have just been me. (laughs) (laughs) Or it could have just been anybody. And it was just a light bulb moment of how important that sinless life led was. And most kids concentrate on the cross and the resurrection because that's what we talk about all the time. But he connected the dot that it couldn't just be anybody. Hmm. It had to be Jesus because it was a sinless life. And that was so cool to watch him come up with that. Right. How many of you grew up in some kind of Sunday school environment? All right. A lot of you did. Um, I, I, I don't remember ever a light bulb like that going off for me. And I was a gospel nerd as a kid like I was like thought I was John the Baptist at 10 years old and I still when she said that this week I'm like that's a theological grasp you know grasping that's happening there that I had to think as a child the next level of why the savior needed to be sinless I just always heard that he was and if you said what verses said that he was sinless I could share all that kind of stuff but to really I mean that's what you and I do we come to these theological concepts and we go, oh, now I know why that matters, why that's important and stuff. And so it's fun for me because it's typically when you're cleaning up like the check-in station and stuff, I get a Miss Janet story about some light bulb going off with one of the kids. And it's encouraging to me as I hope it is to you to hear that that's the way that these children are being formed and their uh, their appreciation for the gospel is being framed. So um, what I want to do is... Um, Talk a little bit about um, what this means for all of us, because some of us are beyond raising little kids or even teenagers. Uh, some of us haven't had any children to bring in there and everything, or some of us, um, the word kids just makes them cringe. Um, so, you know, we're at all different <laughs> stages of this kind of thing. And um, uh, how would you invite the church to participate in this ministry because I think what you guys are spelling out for us is the importance of the reason why they are in those environments. Um, I would love to just, sometimes I'd love to just lay out a rule and say, if you have a kid, serve in the ministry. But that kind of coercion, that kind of you know expectation and everything doesn't add to the genuineness of it. So we've always leaned on the side of, if your heart is in it, please come and help us. But I think hearing more about the background of what you guys are seeking to accomplish and some of the results of that, how would you invite the entire church body into this process a little bit? Maybe, uh, Janet, start with you. Um, Well, first of all, I want to 
the invite would be that even if you don't have kids in kids' church, you are a part of this church. So you do have a vested interest, whether you know you do or not, <laughs> you do. Um, so there's that part. And then the other part is you could talk to, I'm pretty sure I can easily throw out a stat of at least 90% of the people who've worked in kids' church. And they will tell you that they get more out of working in kids' church than they did ever thought that they would get. And I say that because it's not like, oh, good, I checked my box. Look what I did this week. But it's because once they get in there and they get worshiping with kids, because if you've never worshiped with kids, you are missing out. I'm telling you right now. They are not inhibited. <laughs> they are all in. They love to sing and worship Jesus. So they, they're they in there with these kids, and they're watching this. And I have workers who tell me I couldn't look at them. I was just going to start crying and <laughs> because it's such a beautiful thing to watch. So that Sometimes part of Sometimes I will skip this worship, and I'll go <laughs> sneak in the door over there, and all the kids are doing their thing, and I'm just like... Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there's, awesome. there's definitely certain songs that yep. um, do that and to me as well. So, um, But more importantly is it really the culture itself is actually shifting, believe it or not. And um, we're saying it without actually saying it. And it's something that I think is a good thing. But it's not just children's ministry and it's not just youth ministry. It's really family ministry is really what we're at. And so it needs to be received as that, not just as the family entity that's at home but a family of that's of the church like that's it so it really needs to stop being that's just children's ministry or that's just youth ministry it's really family ministry and i think that that once we can get our minds wrapped around that and we start thinking how do we take care of our family both at home and here at church then i think i mean the future is just endless i think right absolutely with that We've given um, you long enough silence. Yeah. <laughs> Two minutes. Here we go. <laughs> All right. So um, as far as parents go, I just encourage you to really try to get the teens to the youth events, to youth group weekly. Um, they're not always going to want to get off the couch and leave the comforts of food and video games and TV, <laughs> but try to encourage them to be there because we as leaders, youth leaders, can't really have an influence on them uh, nearly as much. We can't build the relationships without seeing them there. And it's incredible, the ones who are there weekly, how much more of an effect we can have on those teens. Um, And then also the congregation um, realized in youth ministry, really, that all teens need mentors. And it's not just the ones who you can see that are struggling from the outside or, or a rough background or maybe a single parent family. The ones that you can see more that you, you tend to try to gravitate toward to help or whatever. All teens need mentors. That's even the ones who have a great, solid family uh, and they go to church. They were risen up in church. And not just mentors. They need about three to four mentors in their life. So that could be parent, youth pastor, youth leader, but also adults in the church. And this is where I invite you. Um, maybe you're not ready to commit full-time youth ministry. Maybe you're not up for dodgeball or all-nighters. Uh, but you can be mentors to these teens. And if you let me know that you're willing to be a mentor, we can hook uh, maybe a man up with a, a younger boy, one of the teen boys, to maybe you know mentor in some way. Come alongside, and same with a lady with a girl. And uh, come alongside, take them under their wing, but speak truth into their life. And reiterate, basically, from all the different mentors, what hopefully they're learning at home and in youth group. So they're hearing uh, experience because you've already been a teenager. And also, you'll be surprised how challenged you're going to get because teens see right through if you really care for them or not. 
They, they see right through hypocrisy. And so it holds, uh, us adults to a level of accountability as well. So it'll be encouraging. And that kind of works as that crossing the age gap too. So if yeah. you're interested, talk to me about it's an incredible mentor. point about the idea that every kid needs the mentors, whether you think that they're necessarily a struggling kid or a solid or yeah. stable kid and things. And, you know, at our house, we feel like we're pretty involved with our teens and we know what's going on for the most part and everything. Um, you know, we're not God, so we're not everywhere, but I wouldn't be able to raise the teens that we've been able to have without the assistance of, uh, I'm going to cheat a little bit. I've got a, one of my kids' uncles on stage here <laughs> and his predecessor in youth ministry was another one of their uncles. So we've got good stock going on with that, with that whole thing. So I'm v- very much aided, but that's the point is that I, um, I, I've said to my teenagers, I said, it matters more to me what others think about how you're becoming than even what I'm seeing. When other people get back to me and say, hey, you know, I really appreciate it. Your kid's got a really good work ethic or this or that sort of thing. That's the shaping that happens outside the home that I thought maybe I'm getting across or trying to. But I have no idea if I'm doing a good enough job with that. And then others, because they've made themselves available to be around my kids and their friends are, are kind of like our kids in our house and stuff. It's just, you know, have a concern, not just for your own, but for the ones that they are around and invest yourself be available to be around them as well. But then also, if you don't have any teens in the house or even any kids in the house or something, think about how can we help this whole thing? I hate to say it takes a village because that's going to evoke all kinds of, but you know, there is an aspect of that, that that's the beauty of living life together as a church is that it's not just, well, I wonder how they're going to do with their family. It's kind of an, our family sort of situation. So, um, lastly, you guys are, um, kind of always looking at the trends going on in the the nation and the world. You're looking at your age brackets and the influences they're getting and what social media trends and all these kinds of things. And then you're also kind of wrestling with your own plans for where you want to see ministry grow. Can you put those two things together for us and just talk to us a little bit about what we think is on the horizon with the age groups that you guys represent and then also what what we think that means for us specifically? Who goes first? (laughs) All right. Well, I think um, as far as in our youth ministry, well, we all know where the trends are going for youth ministry, I guess, and it's very attractional. A lot of teens, I mean, youth ministries, we do the attractional things. What does as that mean? As far as, I guess, let me explain, bonfire maybe, be attractional, paintball, some of these things to attract them in. Mm-hmm. But there's got to be more to it than that. And we see oftentimes if a kid just buys into the attractional youth ministry, they're going to get bored because they came in for youth group for what they can get out of it quick entertainment. They're going to get bored. We're going to play a game that they're not going to enjoy that night. And they're going to get bored and go on to the next flashy youth group. Um, so I think in our, in our specific ministry, uh, we're trying to kind of buck the trend or, or get outside of the statistics by getting the kids engaged. And recently, the last couple months, um, we did kind of a spiritual gift, um, two part series and handed out spiritual gift surveys. And we were able to get the teens to fill those out. And they kind of had an idea of, of what God has given them, spiritual gifts. And actually, that's their reasonable service. So they should be using those spiritual gifts in our youth group, but also in the church. And it really was amazing to see how many teens stepped up and said, you know what, I, I, don't, I have this spiritual gift and I'm willing to do this and that in the youth group. 
And we actually had some do the media team. We had some do the worship team. We even had kids saying, I'll take attendance. I don't like talking, but I'll take attendance or doing a service project. All these different areas that they're willing to get invested into the youth group. And then once a teen starts getting engaged like that, then they have some ownership of the youth ministry. And now they come through the doors, uh, which we see that trend of the attractional youth ministry and only that attractional. They come through the doors now looking, instead of what I can get out of this, what games are we going to play? Are they going to meet my needs tonight? They're coming with purpose and, and hopefully some engagement and some ownership where they're looking to serve God and others with that. Yeah. But also I'd say um, something else in our youth ministry that we're trying to steer clear of the attractional um, and keep the kids engaged is through our Dare to Share program, which um, we've done a couple years now. In fact, Eric Brown uh, from Word of Life came through a couple weeks ago, and he reiterated a lot of what we learned the year before. But the idea is to get each teen with a cause circle. A cause circle is you can put your family, your friends in there, whoever it may be, someone you're going to have intentionally caused to pray, care, and share for them. So you pray for them, you care for them, but you also eventually are going to share the gospel with them. And there was a simple acrostic that they have in that cause circle that uh, G-O-S-P-E-L. So it's God, our sins, paying everlasting life. And it has a little snippet by each letter or each word where the teens can clearly and plainly lay out the gospel, gospel salvation to them or to their friends, to those in the cause circle. So the idea is to get the teens to have a gospel conversation. And you may say, okay, that's, that kind of sounds like program, programmatic or whatever. And uh, the idea, though, is to start that spark. When you see a teen have a gospel conversation with someone, it's kind of like little sparks starting. And it really sets a teen on fire. And it really is incredible to watch. And we were able to see it last year. COVID hit this year, so it was a little different there to share. But last year, where we went out to the outreach program and collected canned goods for others. And uh, for the homeless shelter, actually. And we were able to pray with those on their doorstep. And the testimonies when the kids came back, they were just on fire. And that's those little sparks, those little gospel conversations that can really get teens engaged. Yeah, so. and I think it's a good word to even adults, right? Because if a, a ministry builds itself on the attraction of things, um, where, I mean... <laughs> I used to refer to it as preaching to teens because you would hear the parents amen the loudest when the preacher would say something teens need to do. These people never mummed an amen in their life. And as soon as the preacher started hitting the teens, they're like, amen, pastor, you preach it. <laughs> and so uh, there, there's an aspect of what we need to hear that lesson as well, that we're, we're building a, a ministry on, on the application and the, and the participation in the gospel more than just what we can provide for people to feel like they were a part of something cool. You know, and that's that's really important. So, all right. So for you, ma'am, uh, pretty much the same question. What are you seeing for trends? What do you see for the future of what we're trying to accomplish here? Well, the trend that we see is that oftentimes not just kids are done with church after fifth grade, but so are families. And so the intention is, is that the family stays going to church. And so that's why we um, have like a midweek program during the week um, for the um, third through fifth graders so that they are ready to go to junior high youth group that same night as they graduate. Um, and we try to foster that and try to keep that going so that families keep going. Because unfortunately, that is a trend. It's kind of like what we talked about at the very 
very beginning. There I've raised my, you know, we've done church. I, I became a parent and I'm like, oh, we need to go to church. And then the kids are at a kids program and they're here on Sunday mornings. They don't want to have them in the sanctuary for that long. So that it starts falling off and start finding more way, more things to do on Sundays. Um, so we want to stop that by making sure that the kids understand what their faith is before they even get out of fifth grade. It's important that it's not a borrowed faith, even at that age, that they know it's theirs. When they own it, then they want to go to church. They want to go to youth group. They want to be part of something. So we're hoping that that helps with that trend. That's probably the biggest trend that we see. The thing that I want to see for faith and I'd love to see happen all across the country is that families just understand what their role is in raising children. And I say that meaning not that you're going to be perfect parents by any means or grandparents or guardians, but simply what it means in Deuteronomy when it says that it's up to the parents and the grandparents to be the ones to teach the children that we have tools and we can equip, but it's really your responsibility and we want to come alongside and we want to help and we want to be a part of it. But if all they're getting is what we have with them for an hour, an hour and 15 minutes on Sunday morning, it's not going to be enough probably to stick with them for the time that they need to have that. And so helping you have the tools and the resources and praying for you to be able to do that. And those of you who don't have kids in kids church, I want to piggyback off what Gary said. There are young parents in this church who don't have Christian parents to help them and be grandparents and come alongside them with parenting. And um, do you see a mom that's struggling and she's got a crying baby, but she just needs to sit in the service. Could you offer to sit with her baby out in the four years so that she could just sit in the service and be fed for a minute? What are ways that we as a faith body can come alongside the families and help them be able to do this and equip them a little bit better? Everybody has something to offer. It's not, you don't have to be in children's ministry, but I'm sure there's other ways that you could come alongside and help with that. Right. I think that's perfect. We are making strides towards opening up ministry, children's ministry yeah. in public for the younger ones. We've been talking about that, how we, how we can accelerate that. But one of the things that came up in like an elders meeting a couple months ago is one of our guys suggested, hey, is there any chance that if you know a family that hasn't been able to make it to church because we don't have anything yet for the younger kids, call them up and say, hey, I've been able to go for the last few Sundays. Why don't you guys go and we'll sit with the kids because they know each other. Obviously, we're talking right, about right. safety and everything, but but it's just that mindset. Mm -hmm. and, and even as that person said that in our elder meeting, we're like, that's brilliant. <laughs> like, how, how did it not occur to us yet to even suggest that? So I think that's perfect advice and something we need to heed. Um, we, we went a little longer than we thought. These guys thought they wouldn't have enough to share. So um, appreciate you guys for all that you added to that. Can we thank them for their time this morning? All right. Thank you, guys. I'm going to just... Uh, team is uh, making their way up. Let's just pray for them and for all that the... Uh, the lives that their ministries represent. Lord, I want to thank you, God, for what you're doing in our midst. Thank you, Lord, for giving us a home church. Thank you, Lord, for giving us a family together where we can share these victories and these struggles, where we can share these plans and concerns, Lord. And I just pray that you'd help us all to be faithful to the responsibility of making sure the next generation coming up is uh, walking with you, Lord, and help us to adapt to all that they're seeing and all that they're faced and challenged with knowing, Lord, that you're bigger than any situation going on around the globe. So we thank you, God, for your people. Thank you, Lord, for the resources and the ability that we have 
to be able to continue to minister to them uh, week in, week out. So uh, thank you, Lord, so much for what you're doing. Be pleased, Lord, with our time of lifting up your name, Lord, thanking you for your sacrifice, but knowing, Lord, that your sacrifice didn't end in the grave, that you are alive and living in us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Would you please stand?